Ahoy Mets fans, welcome to episode 198 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore, and we have a fun show for you guys this week. But before that, we have some news. We are attempting to put on a special live podcast for the 200th episode of Amazing Avenue Audio. There will be guests, there will be old friends, it will be a really, really good time. Details are still coming together, but it will be on Saturday, August 27th, somewhere in New York City. We will hopefully have details for you very, very soon, but at the absolute latest, you will hear about it on the podcast next week. So keep the afternoon of the 27th of August free, and hopefully you can come out and celebrate our 200th episode along with us. But before that, I spoke with Chris McShane about the last week in Metsdom, including the pitching performances from members of the bullpen, a very peculiar situation involving Logan Verrett's agents, and whether or not we would take certain players that are available right now for minimal cost on the free agent or trade market. So, enjoy. Well, Chris, we are just about 24 hours removed from Steven Matz throwing a near-no-hitter on Sunday against the Padres. He went eight and a thirds, no-hit innings before giving up a base hit over the first base line. You were at the game. Uh, what was the atmosphere like at City Field that day? For a very warm Sunday afternoon, and as hot as it's been, that's not a complaint. I hate winter, so I'll take it. Uh, and my dad and I were fortunate. We were just doing standing room, and a random guy saw that in like the first inning and came and gave us tickets to sit with him in like section 125 or 6 somewhere that's around That's awesome. There. So, oh yeah, it was a great view. Um, we were we went from the shade, we went from 100% shade to 100% sun. Um, <laughs> so as long as you didn't move much, it was okay. <laughs> but but for a day like that, uh, you know, Matt's made it look really, really easy being out there. Um, and, and the crowd was responsive. You know, I think... One of the things with a potential no-hitter is, you know, when do you really start thinking about it? So in conversation during the game, I, you know, I said, I, to me, you're not thinking about completion, but I think four or five innings, especially five, if you get to that point and you go, hmm, he hasn't given up a hit yet. Yeah. You know, that, that 15 outs is more than halfway there. And that's when I think you can at least consider it. You know, two or three innings, whatever that happens. But if you make it like the second time through the order, or if, if I'm saying five innings, um, depending on how many guys you walk, mm-hmm. one and a half times through the order, I think that's when you can start going, all right, you know, one more inning, and then we can start. I think nine outs is about the time that you can count down and i thought he was going to do it so did i i was listening to the game at work and i I thought he was going to do it for sure i mean he he looked good and you know i I know it's the padres and they're not the most formidable offense in baseball or anything but you know that also that works in your favor when you get to that point where he was throwing hard stuff was working you know just like Degrom on saturday night he walks the leadoff guy and then from there makes it look very very easy well i was going to mention that because uh you were at the game on Saturday too, right? Yeah, yeah. See, yeah. I was I was watching the game at home, and Keith brought up the potential for a Degrom no hitter. I want to say in the fourth inning, because okay. uh, you know he just he commented, you know, 
oh, you know, hasn't gotten a hit yet. And, you know, DeGrom has the stuff, and this is the team he can do it against. And, you know, almost, I think it was an inning later, he gave it up. Um, but there's that weird thing with there are certain fans who are absolutely convinced that they jinx no hitters if they talk about it. Right. You know, Jonah Carey, I'm looking at you. Um, <laughs> and uh, and then there are folks who, who say that, you know, no, of course not, you can't jinx it. Logical folks say, no, of course you can't jinx it. But I find that it's, um, there's this weird mix, especially in the advent of Twitter, of people excitedly talking about it, people being shushed from talking about it, people being just incredibly blasé about it, and so I'll get excited when it's down to three outs or whatever it is. There's just this this very, very odd confluence of emotions that go on outside the ballpark. But I think inside the ballpark, it's probably just pure excitement, right? Yeah, I think so. I I tweeted about Johan's no-hitter during it and well before it was complete. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) however that makes... Anyone who's listening feel I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I was I was at um, my my company does a uh, twice a year dinner like for all employees. So we're at this like very very fancy restaurant, and my phone just kept buzzing. And I excused myself to go to the bathroom, and everybody in my life was basically saying, "Get to a TV right now." And so I asked <laughs> the bar at the restaurant to put the game on, and then I uh, watched it, and I uh, was hugging strangers when it happened. So yeah, it was fun. Nice. Of course, I was at the game the next day. I picked just the wrong day to go to the game. But right, yeah, yeah. I um, I failed on that one as well. You almost made it happen on Sunday, though. Yeah, yeah. No, but I like he really did just look good, and I think, uh, you know, I, I was also there. It's funny I hadn't seen a Stephen Matt start in a regular season game mm-hmm. in spring training. I'm sure I saw him, uh, but. I hadn't seen him start a real game yet this season until the game at Yankee Stadium, which obviously didn't go so well. Right. Um, but in these two starts since then, like, man, he's been good, you know? And he hasn't always been, like, the high strikeout rate guy mm-hmm. on the staff, but the strikeouts have been there. I mean, not that he hasn't struck anybody out, but he just hasn't been... He's yeah. not he's he's not Thor or uh no. or Harvey in that in that regard. Um it's interesting, you know, he's definitely somebody who is getting you know, he's getting adjusted to the league. What I find really interesting though is you know, his game against Arizona where he pitched, you know, by all intents and purposes very well. He still gave up two home runs, he still only went six innings. Um do you see his lack of depth in games being a problem going forward or is that just something he's going to work through like a lot of young pitchers do uh yeah i don't think we have john main on our hands in any of these guys you know it's just like i know that that sort of stuff comes up and then if it happens like if the story comes up during a broadcast or maybe you know in the papers or whatever um as Keith likes to say, uh, <laughs> and then it happens again. Then people tend to focus on it more. And then until it, you know, until that streak gets snapped, uh, and then maybe Matt sort of did that there with with the near no hitter yesterday, uh, as we record on Monday. Um, so yeah, I I don't think it's a long term issue with either of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, to the extent that it has been an issue lately, you know, maybe it's 
it's August. It's hot. They have bone spurs that we know need to be removed when the season ends. Right. Um, so, I mean, yeah. To I, me, I'm not, to I'm me, not it's more of, it's more of an issue with Matts only because you know this year he is you know more often than not he's a six inning starter thus far, um, and I just see him getting. You know, what I love about Stephen Matts is how he seems to live and die with every pitch. I appreciate yeah. that about him. But I also think that that probably puts more strain on his arm than somebody who can let things go a little bit easier. And I just feel like when he's not going well, you see him throwing just pitch after pitch after pitch, and he, you see his frustration growing, and then he's out of the game. And that's, yeah. that's a common pattern with him. So I, I don't know if there's a way to easily <laughs> to make him... I, I, you don't want him to care less, but to be able to, to better deal with it. Because I do think that might be an issue going forward if he can if he can't begin to let some of this go a little bit yeah yeah i did say one thing during you know the pitch count his pitch count was pretty reasonable and then it started to go up a little bit i forget if it was the fifth or sixth inning uh it might have even been the seventh but at some point it jumped you know you had one mm-hmm. inning where i think right. it probably threw 20 pitches or whatever and uh you know just before he'd given up the hit you know it's he's gone seven and a third i think it was at 100 two or three or four, whatever it was, and mm-hmm. then the next guy gets the hit and he comes out with 105. But I was like, man, Steven Matz, is, he's going to like kill Terry Collins. Yeah. If he tries <laughs> to take him out of the game, you know, especially since he let him go up to 120. Right. In his previous start, without anything like a no-hitter intact, I was like, I, I really don't think Terry's going to have a choice, uh, you know, unless he wants to get assaulted by one of his players. <laughs> Because Matt's just seems like he doesn't seem like a violent person, but he seems like a guy who, you know, like I I don't know. Going back the Teixeira hit by pitch, which he yep. was a baby about Teixeira. That is not yes, Matt's. Yes. Um, I don't know. I think there's some. He doesn't look like the big intimidating guy that Syndergaard does, but man, I you might have a little more fury behind him. I wouldn't fuck with him. No. He, uh, yeah, he definitely looks like a tough, a tough character. Um, so before Matt took the mound on, uh, excuse me, on Sunday, we had a roster move on Saturday. Logan Verrett was optioned to AAA, and that move is now uh, causing some controversy. So let's let's see if we can follow this story. So, according to Adam Rubin, Verrett was optioned but complained after his start about a stiff neck and that Verrett was checked out by team doctors who noticed nothing significant. A request was made for a second opinion, but the Mets sent him down. Now his agents are trying to have the demotion rescinded and instead have Verrett go on the 15-day DL. Now, I know this is the Mets, and I know that they're track record with, with putting folks in the DL and and you know just general poor management of their resources is is kind of a punchline but this seems absurd doesn't it yeah yeah i mean without having you know first hand access to it you hate to you know make any conclusive judgment but come on <laughs> like really I don't dislike Logan Verrett. I think 
I almost think that that start in Colorado last year might have been bad for the long term. Yeah, it gave people expectations that he was never going to be able to meet. Yeah, like I hope the front office didn't wouldn't be affected by something like that and read too much into it. But you know that that one spot start it was amazing, and it's just one of those things that it was a freak thing. And I mean, as bad as he's been, I don't think he's this bad if he's in the bullpen. No, I agree. But I mean, it's just he. This is not. This is not really that much of an insult. He's not a major league starting pitcher. No, he he's a bullpen arm who can make a spot start if need be. Right, and you know, I mean, Sean Gilmartin was that and was much more effective last year. I mean, I know, I know, his spot start came very late, but he was a guy who you could, you know, conceivably put in a, a position like that, and he went out and performed much better. And his reward was he's been in AAA for the entire season, save for like a couple appearances with the Mets. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Um, it, to me, a stiff neck is not <laughs> is not a valid DL excuse. Uh, I mentioned this to Chris when we were talking before we started recording, but Bryce Harper missed eight games in a row with a stiff neck, and nobody thought it was serious enough to put him on the DL for it. At least not as of recording time tonight. Um, and Verrett missed zero time because of his <laughs> stiff neck. So it seems it just seems a little bit silly to me. Um, yeah, I you know we may look like fools, and maybe there's something real there, but I don't know. It just seems like a an unnecessary thing to raise at a point in time when you know that part of the roster I think could be very fluid. Yeah, I mean, more than likely before this, he was getting called up in 15 days anyway. Right. When rosters expand, I couldn't see Verrett not getting promoted. But now, I wouldn't be that shocked if his season ends when AAA ends. Yeah, yeah, and and just briefly, and we can, you know, I'm sure we'll touch on it more right around September 1st. Um, but roster expansion, I hope the Mets take a little more advantage of it this year than last year. I know they were in yeah. a more comfortable position a year ago, but... I I don't care how long the games take. Like, if you can have a 13-man bullpen and mix and match and, you know, go to extra innings and have two guys who are in the AAA rotation just sitting there who can at least go out and say, hey, it's the 11th inning. Right. You know, uh, Robert Gazelman or, you know, you know, is up right now. But, hey, this guy's going to go out there and he's going to basically pitch a start until the game ends. Uh I'd much, much rather have that available. Especially if they're still somewhat in a playoff race. The well, last yeah, thing yeah, you... It, it, the it's last, under that assumption. Yeah. yeah, but the last thing you... I mean, first of all, it's just nobody likes to see Rene Rivera pitch. No right. one likes that. That's number one. But if they're even in, in the slightest of races, a game that can destroy your bullpen can destroy your whole... can destroy a whole week. And if you're in... If you're still hunting for a spot in September, that can destroy your whole season. Yeah. So, Yeah. Please. So yeah, on that note, I hope the the Mets don't hold a grudge. But if there's really nothing to it, uh, I don't. I just don't get it. Like, what are you doing? Are you, like, are you just trying to piss the team off? You know? Yeah. I don't know, dude. I don't know. Uh, I do know that the Mets were rumored to be acquiring a bullpen arm for about three weeks now, 
and we have not seen anything come to fruition over that. Now, you said you read a report about this today, or you read you heard that there was a report out there about this. So why don't you share with the listeners what what you heard, and we can go from there. Oh yeah, wait, actually, okay, with the caveat that I heard it secondhand, but from a Mets fan who pays way too much attention, just like we all do. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone has suggested, and whether or not it came from a, a team source or not, I don't know, but someone has suggested that the Mets might be a little more comfortable not making a trade because Eric Goodell had been you know, really good lately. Um, and that's nice. And I like Eric Goodell and you look at his major league numbers and they're good. You know, there's really nothing, there's nothing really to criticize there. Um, but what the hell Mets? Right. But if (laughs) that is the case, you know, you just, you can't count on him to be healthy. You know, say, say there still are Mets games in mid October, you know, I, and I keep coming back to it, but I'd rather Eric Goodell be the, you know, plan B for the guy who's ahead of him. Um, and it, it's nothing against him, but, you know, when you look at the innings he's thrown, you can't really count on him to be healthy. You know, that his elbow history is uh, checkered at best. <laughs> yeah, that's a nice way of putting it. And, you know, I hope he stays healthy and I'm rooting for him and he's been effective. That's great. But, like, man, I'd hate for him to be like if you get to that point and you go hey you know what we've got we look at our roster and he is healthy and he's better than you know i mean in the playoffs you're really going with an eight-man bullpen um you know he's better than logan verrett right he's better than him and whoever else might be in the conversation for you know eighth best reliever on the team um or seventh really you know whatever it is if you get to that point and you say, hey, he's better, then okay, fine. You know, you take him. And if he gets hurt during the playoffs, uh, then you replace him. But, but yeah. You know, I mean, the bullpen's been really good this year. Uh, but if it's something that they think they want to do, you know, do it. They got, and I know this is hard to replicate, and I know we tried to find the next Addison Reed recently and <laughs> failed. But that's an example that you can get somebody who who can be you know even if not excellent you might be able to get somebody who can help you without giving up really anything yeah it um i feel like mets fans have become so accustomed over the last decade or so to the team just not being that good that you got comfortable with letting guys late in the season figure out their roles we're not there anymore, folks. We're in a playoff hunt. There's money to be spent. I'm not giving up on Eric Adele and the like. I'm not giving up on Logan Verrett. But if you're talking about potentially making a playoff push, you can't let those guys... You can't let the luster of, an, of a potentially useful prospect or even just the... You know, Jeff always used to determine the show that there are certain guys who are just his guys. You right. Know, you can't let one of your guys blind you to the fact that there might be better options out there and that those options are going to be available to you because you're a team that's still playing meaningful games and some teams are not. And we're not yeah. talking about trading, you know, um, you know, Dom Smith for a, a quad A arm here. These guys are had pretty easily and pretty cheaply usually. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I don't think there's a Jeff Bagwell on the Mets system. Um, <laughs> maybe maybe Dom Smith makes everybody look foolish, you know, for uh, or, or me specifically for saying that <laughs> 15 years down the road. But I don't think there even is the opportunity to, to make a trade that looks like that in the end. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, who would they give up for Reed? It was Miller Diaz, right? And, yeah, and uh, I'm going to look this up, aren't I? I hear you typing some of the. Yes. I'll let you take this one. I mean, it was two guys who still haven't thrown, I believe, above double A, if not right. even lower. Yeah, yeah, it was Miller Diaz and uh, Matt, I think he pronounces it Cook, K O C H. Yes, yeah. Or if it's Koch, I'm sorry, Matt. We know you're listening. <laughs> but, uh,. But yeah, I mean that. Even if you give me like the you know, the B movie version of that trade, um, we could we can be satisfied. I think absolutely. And you know, I mean, it's the like you said, and Seth Lugo should be you know Lugo, Goodell, Verrett. You know, I mean, as relievers, they all have better ERAs this year than Jerry's Familia. Um, <laughs> I could tell you who I'm going to go to in a in a spot that matters. Right, right. I mean, I'd, I'd trust Robles probably a little bit more than all of them, too. So, I mean, it's a good problem to have, I guess, that we're complaining about, like, oh, go get a guy to be the sixth man in the bullpen. But, you know. But go get a guy to be the sixth man in the bullpen. <laughs> If that's the only spot that they feel like they can reasonably acquire somebody, it might be a marginal difference. But you know what? Like I'll, I'll take it, and especially like you know in September, if you're rolling with a very much expanded bullpen. Yeah. You know, in a perfect world, nobody who's currently there gets hurt. Goodell stays healthy. Um, you know, Jim Henderson makes his way back, and. You know, it looks like the pitcher that he was in April. Before, the last few outings before he hit the disabled list really yeah. torpedoed his ERA. Uh, but he had looked good before that. So, perfect world. They're all there. Everybody's humming along. To say, oh, we, we've got, you know, there's eight or nine relievers on the team with ERAs under, like, 3.2. That, that's fine. Yeah, you know that that sounds like a good thing to have in September. Yeah, I would. Um, I'd be very surprised if there is not a moment in September where we don't say, "Oh, if only Terry had somebody better than blank to put in the game right now." That will definitely happen. So, yeah. Um, speaking, I'm, still, I'm surprised Carlos Torres never. Yeah. Came back. Uh, maybe that might be the kind of guy who we could be looking at here, you know. We can avoid that one. <laughs> I know you're a big Torres guy, but... Uh... Yeah, I, I have to keep coming back to him. But you were saying... What I was saying is that there are some interesting names of people who have recently been DFA'd or released by their team that might be an upgrade for the Mets in one way or the other. Now, full disclosure here, there is no rumor of any of this. None of this really makes sense for the Mets, but let's just play a hypothetical GM here, Chris. Sure. I'm going to list a player. You're going to tell me if you would take him or not on the Mets, essentially for a flyer. Let's start with the recently uh, requested and granted release relief pitcher for the Washington Nationals, Mr. Jonathan Papelbon. 
Would you take a flyer on Papelbon? Uh, no. Why? Well, one, he hasn't been that good. I feel like Eno Saris has, predict- has been predicting his uh, downfall for several years, and the numbers in terms of results are finally starting to, you know, catch up to that. Uh, so there's actual production on the field, and then, like, man, clubhouse chemistry is nice and all that. It's something I generally don't care too much about, you know, maybe to a fault. But if anybody could mess it up, it's him. It, it would be him, yeah. Like, what? Like, come on. Like, what is he? I'm Job over here. My second come on on the, on the same episode. <laughs> um, but, I mean, is, is the angle just that he wants to go back to the Red Sox? I don't know what he you wants. You know, like, I saw something that, like, in you know, in free agency, he's prioritizing finding a winner. And as much as I hate it, the Nationals are like uh, a winner. Pretty, obvious, pretty <laughs> obviously a winner. They're you know, barring something relatively historic. Yes, they will at least play a playoff game. Um, you know, and and they're very 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 likely to win the division. You know, they'd have to lose something like seven or eight or nine games in a row from the Marlins or Mets to, you know, be knocking on the door even. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, no. No Papelbon. And, it, like, where is he at a stage now that he finally says, oh, I'm ready to not be a closer? I can't see that personally. So then what? who, you know, where is he going to go? Like, is he going to try to basically trade himself to Pittsburgh? And say, hey, I'll come close for you since they replaced me with your guy. It's just weird. Yeah, it is weird. I do like that the Nationals, two years in a row, have completely alienated. And in this case, it is the. Maybe in both cases, even. But in two years in a row, they had a closer on their team for three quarters of the season who they alienated to the point that, you know, either he punched. Either he broke his hand or he asked for his release. Right. He, he ended. It, they both ended their Nationals careers uh, by their own choices. Yeah, you know. So that's that's fun. Okay, uh, let's go with the local option next. Would you consider signing Alex Rodriguez to be a bench piece or possibly an everyday third baseman for your New York Mets? Yes. All right, sell me on this. Absolutely. Um, he was pretty good last year. I know he's a year older. I know he might not be pretty good anymore. Uh, but platoonum, he said how much better he feels when he, you know, gets a little extra rest in between in between games. He might be a disaster in the field, but platoon or not even platoon, maybe like a one or two starts a week. That's sort of like an extreme platoon. Uh, but let him go out there, face lefties, get to seven hundred home runs cause a circus among everybody i'm for it because imagine if they signed him and and then they go on a run and even if it's not really related to that you know i i could live with a rod save the mets yeah as they you know marched into the postseason while the yankees you know sat at home uh that to me would be pretty damn entertaining so I don't the, the the production might come back and bite me, but well, you're, not, is, you're not paying him anything. So right. Well, that that's my my point. So I am not opposed to this move, and I feel like all of our dads are shaking their heads right now. 
Like, like he, a, a Rod is the perfect example of somebody my dad hates in baseball. A overpaid, steroid using, playboy, whatever. But let's just let's just talk realistically for a second. Who on the Mets bench is a better baseball player today than Alex Rodriguez? Kelly Let's Johnson. See. Yeah, definitely Kelly Johnson. We don't know enough about TJ Rivera yet. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, we're sort of at a point here where in a few days, if the guys on the disabled list come back, as expected, mm-hmm. you, you know, you bump them down and then you say, all right, you know, the bench is either Wilmer Flores or Jose Reyes, depending. I mean, let's be real. It's not going to be Reyes. Right. Uh, it's Wilmer Flores, <laughs> Kelly Johnson, um... You know, Alejandro uh, Diaza, right? Yeah, yeah, yep. And then, I mean, even even with Cespedes and then Asdrubal both back, either one of Rivera or, or TJ, I should say, Rivera or Kelly is probably sticking around. Yeah. Um. So yeah. I mean, even if they signed him in a week, and you know. Said he, you know, and sent him to AAA for a couple games. Uh, not that, not that they're going to do that, but you know, th- there are ways that they can get a run on the team. And my point is, in September, when you're playing games that are going to matter, just having the ability to when a when a team puts in their left-handed reliever to try out a guy who can still hit a home run, plenty good off a left-handed pitcher. I don't know if there's a guy on the Mets bench that would be as feared as a Rod. I don't know if the guy in the Mets lineup against a lefty who's as feared as A-Rod. Well, Wilmer Flores. Well, of course. Wilmer. I, 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 but aside from him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, obviously, you'd, realistically, you'd rather have Cespedes in there because Cespedes is a currently great baseball player as opposed to a formerly great one. But I would, I, I would do the A-Rod move if I were the Mets. Yeah. They won't do it. Right, and he, he's saying right now that he's ruled out playing for another team this year. You know, I guess I'll believe it when we get to the end of the season and he hasn't played. Right. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm on board. And last but not least, the once and uh, perhaps future Met, Carlos Gomez, recently DFA'd by the Houston Astros. Yeah, so I wrote about it a little bit. Uh, you know, there's really... There's not a lot of encouraging stuff when you look <laughs> into him, but you know he I, the so say they do it, and I guess I'm going to be slightly pro okay. Gomez, you know because there's a track record and all that. I'm pro Gomez for the record. Um, you know, you bring him in. I think there's sort of a risk, and I feel the same way about Reyes too, that. This is the name guy, and Terry Collins gets him in the clubhouse and starts him every day for too long. You know, I mean, I feel like we're sort of at a point. It's like, I mean, Gomez has a long track record this season now that is not good. But it would feel similar to Reyes where how long, you know, how long is the leash before you say, all right, this just isn't working and, you know, this guy's either going to be on the bench or we're going to let him go. Um, you know, and I feel like if you had that kind of situation, that Gomez would play every day or close to it. 
uh, maybe to the detriment of the team. You know, I mean, his his hitting this year is so much worse than say Granderson's in center. Obviously, the defense would be better out there, but and Granderson's having a shitty year too, so that tells you how bad of a year uh, Gomez had. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a bit of a tough a tough spot, I think. But all of that said, I would still take a shot. You know, Justin Ruggiano is still on the disabled list, maybe coming back to, you know, to be on this team. I doubt that very seriously, but that's a whole other story. Right. But well, he's still on the 40 man roster. Yes, he is. So he's still there. He's still taking a spot on the 40 man. Um, so yeah, Gomez is a guy who in that spot, I'd, I'd rather take the flyer really with very, very low expectations. Uh, but maybe there's, a tiny bit left even if it's sort of just that since he got to houston the only time that he was really good was in their playoff run which wasn't super long but right you know he he hit well in that span so even if you can capture that sort of thing it would be you know a lot of fun but but yeah sign him up and hope for nothing yeah here are my my not great my admittedly not great reasons for why i should sign him he's probably not going to be much worse than deaza Right. He's right-handed. Yep. He is legitimately right now by far the best defensive option they have at center field until Lagares comes back, if he comes back this year. Right. So if you can take the Terry situation out of it, as a late-inning defensive replacement, he has more value than Deaza has. He has a better shot of running into a home run here or there than Deaza does. Yep. And he maybe will allow the Mets to not put out such a terrible outfield defensively on days when outfield defense matters. Yeah. Of course, you know, all of this is mitigated by the disabled list. If this happened, if he was released, like, the day that Ligaris went down with his thumb injury, and right after or right before... Cespedes hit the DL again. Like that would make it, me a lot more comfortable with it. I think because we're getting so close to the return of some legitimate Major League Baseball players, it makes the move a little bit more difficult to to swallow. But I would still take the flyer on him. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's funny what a difference a year makes, you know. Well, yeah. And uh, you know, in hindsight. Which is a uh, is a tough way to look at a trade, but you know Wheeler hasn't come back yet. Probably isn't coming back this year. Flores has been maybe even not next year if the if the news is bad. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it very well could be. Hopefully, it's not. But you know, Flores and Wheeler isn't looking like a major return. Right. Now, I mean, it looked more significant then, uh, primarily because of Wheeler. But still, to go from a guy who you expected to be a major league starting pitcher in the middle of a rotation um, and a useful major league infielder to, eh, should they sign him? Or, or you know, right, yeah. maybe trade for him, uh, depending on how things go with Houston trying to do that. You know, should they give up a marginal minor, minor leaguer 
Or failing that, if he's just released, should they just should they use a forty man roster spot on him? Uh, and that's crazy, given his age. It's true. That's quite a drop off. And look, you know, it, he had a, he's had a miserable season this year, miserable. Yeah. But like you said before, his track record is better than this. And to me, to lose Justin Ruggiano's spot on the forty man or Logan Verrett's spot on the forty man take a chance to me it's worth it in a playoff run yeah and i think some of the more interesting stuff when i looked at gomez and, and wrote about it it's not really an excuse uh but it was just something that uh, what stood out as being the most different from what he had done when he was playing well was he wasn't really he's swinging at about the same amount of pitches inside and outside of the zone and in, in total but he's just swinging and missing a lot more at both. Um, you know, I don't know, I don't know what diagnosis you get out of that, but you know, it's not like all of a sudden he's swinging at everything. Right. Or that he, you know, that he went the other way and he's taking too many pitches and getting behind accounts and then just striking out as a result. So the strikeouts are way, way up. What he's doing seems to be the normal Carlos Gomez, and it's just not working. Yeah. That gives you hope that maybe a new voice or two in his ear could help him. Um, Yeah. But, you know, look, I don't think they're going to sign him and he's going to turn into June of 2015 Carlos Gomez. But if he's even... If he's even half of the player he was last year... He's more valuable than Alejandro Diaz, which is the drum I will keep beating yes. in this situation. And, it, you know, the uh, the right-handedness is really going to be a useful thing for the Mets down the road. Because do the Mets have a right-handed outfielder that they could potentially call up in the in September? Uh, of any worth? No. Unless we go back to Ruggiano. Right. Um... And on an, ex- on an expanded roster, you don't want to carry Ruggiano and Gomez, but you could. Right. But yeah, especially with 40-man considerations, I just don't... Yeah, there's not... There really isn't one. I'd go for it, but... Yeah. We'll see. I doubt the Mets sign any of these three guys. Although, uh, imagine how different the narrative would be around the team tomorrow with A-Rod and Gomez there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, um... I, uh, yeah, I... <laughs> I... I'm just imagining it. I'm speechless. I feel like, uh... The best thing that could happen in that situation is A-Rod goes on the tear of a lifetime and the Mets make the playoffs and all that, and yet we're still going to have people out there claiming that he's currently on steroids and making a mess of the whole situation. And uh, But I'll take right. that. I'll take that for a couple of extra wins. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I have no shame. Yeah. <laughs> Reinstate Henry Mejia. There's our bullpen arm. There we go. There we go. <laughs> All right, so as as the uh, McShane Salvatore GM front office here, we reinstate Henry Mejia, we sign A-Rod and Carlos Gomez, 
And, and what's what's one more crazy move we could do right now today? Uh, hmm. Is there somebody we could call up? Somebody from the minors that would be a, an extreme call up? I guess Rosario would be the extreme call up. Yeah. Or Smith. Yeah. Yeah, they, those would both be extreme. So screw it, both of them. Yep. Reyes so, gets hurt again. Call up Rosario to play short. Estrubo uh, can move over to third. Yeah. Dom Smith puts James Loney on the bench. Sends Mets Twitter into a frenzy. <laughs> but batting average, Chris. Yes. If anybody hasn't read Steve Shriver's <laughs> piece today about why. Only one of James Loney or Lucas Duda is good. It is definitely worth your time to read. Yeah. And on that note, hopefully next time we talk, A-Rod's back in pinstripes. Men's pinstripes, obviously. (laughs) Yes. Hey, everyone. Steve Shriver here, and it's time for your This Week in SNY Minute here on Amazing Avenue Audio. We're all pretty familiar with the fact that Keith Hernandez doesn't really go by a script. He's not really uh, one to plan out what he's going to say. So when he speaks off the cuff and, you know, drops in a free advertisement for a company that probably doesn't advertise on Mets games, you know, you you just assume, okay, yeah, it's going to happen, right? So, that's what happened uh, a couple weeks ago against the Tigers. Uh, Michael Conforto lined a ball off uh, Tigers reliever Alex Wilson's leg. Uh, Wilson was in pain, but ended up shaking it off, going back out to pitch. And Keith called him tough and gave a little free advertising to a company whose slogan isn't even tough. Oh, ouch. That was a bullet. He's ready. He's tough. Dodge tough. <laughs> Are they a sponsor? <laughs> or was it Ram? Yeah, sounded good. I believe it is Ram, by the way. Ram is Ram. As we give out free, <laughs> free advertising. Free advertising. So for Wilson, that's his push Yeah, that's way. right. Tough. Dodge tough. Or Ram or whatever. You know, one of those things. That's all we've got here for your This Week in SNY Minute. I'm Steve Schreiber. Now back to Amazing Avenue Audio. for Amazing Avenue Audio, and I don't really have a set topic, or I didn't have one coming into this week. I know the Mets have been really frustrating this year. One thing that stood out to me recently that kind of bothered me a little bit was an article on the internet talking about 
And it wasn't just a random internet site. It was from a site that, for a newspaper that covers the Mets, and it was talking about Jose Reyes sparking the Mets offense because they won two straight games during his two games back into the lineup. And while Jose Reyes was out, we got to concentrate on other things. Neil Walker got hot. Michael Conforto did not. The offense wasn't great, but it also didn't have a guy at the top of the order who had an on-base percentage below 300. And while Jose Reyes has done some good things this year, he hasn't gotten on-base enough to be considered a spark, at least for me. But, like I said, because he was in the lineup two days, because the Mets won two games, on Sunday he had a single, he stole a base, he scored a run, even though it was a run the Mets didn't need because Steven Matz was incredible that day, it was enough that Jose Reyes gets the spark plug name. He gets that recognition from the newspaper. And I think it's time that the mainstream media stops looking at events that happen and automatically associating them with results. It's about correlation and causation. Just because Jose Reyes is in the lineup and he happens to score a run because he got on base one time, it doesn't mean that he's the cause that, or he's the reason that the offense is doing so well. We saw this a lot when Reyes was really good for the Mets back in his heyday, and he would have a big game and the Mets would win, and he would be explained as the reason why the Mets' offense was doing so well. And back then, it was partially true, because Jose Reyes was getting on base around 33% of the time, and he was doing all sorts of wonderful things, stealing bases. He was getting more base hits. He wasn't striking out as much. So back then, it made sense, at least even if Reyes perhaps got a little too much credit. he He still deserved plenty of credit. He was one of the Mets' best players. He was... For a year or two, he was one of the more valuable players in baseball. He played decent defensive shortstop. But nowadays, he might have gotten the same number, and maybe that was a good decision for him because a lot of people out there seem to think that because he's wearing number seven for the Mets and now he's playing shortstop because of the roster shuffling that's gone on and as Drupal Cabrera's on the disabled list and all that, so now he's even back at his old position now. People think that he's the same old guy, but he's simply still not getting on base. And just because the Mets won a couple games, it doesn't stop the fact that he probably shouldn't be batting leadoff for this team. So there you go. That's all I have for this week. The Mets need to continue to get good pitching if they're going to contend for a second wildcard spot. It was awesome to see Bartolo Colon put together back-to-back solid starts for the first time in a while. He was really going back and forth between being good and being really mediocre. But then in Arizona, after those two good starts, he has another tough one. But what can you expect from a guy who is an extreme contact pitcher pitching in a ballpark where it's really hard to keep the ball in the yard? The Diamondbacks were just hitting the ball into the gap all night. Mets lost 10 to 6, and I'm recording this on a Tuesday morning, hopefully, hoping they will bounce back and hoping that Jose Reyes 
isn't on the Mets that much longer because whatever you think of the guy from a personal standpoint, he's not helping the team as much as the media wants to think. So hopefully the Mets get things turned around and they get it turned around with guys with high on base percentages at the top of the lineup. This has been Aaron York for Amazing Avenue Audio. on Tuesday night this time. I'm still trying to break this injury streak. And I think I'm doing okay right now. The Mets haven't had anyone go down this week. Uh, Logan Verrett's agents are claiming that he's injured, and it's, I don't know, it's a back, a neck thing, something like that. And he should be brought back up and put on the DL, but that also sounds like a little bitter that Logan Verrett wasn't good enough to be on the team right now. So, who knows about that, but we have not had any major injuries. We are actually, the Mets are getting everyone back. Cespedes is supposed to come back at the end of the week. Cabrera is supposed to come back at the end of the week. Justin Ruggiano, who I already forgot was on the team, is supposed to come back at the end of the week. Everyone looks good right now, health-wise, at least, I should say. Talent-wise is an entirely different question. We have TJ Rivera getting starts now, and... Shocker of all shockers, his 500 batting average in Las Vegas doesn't really translate to City Field. I don't know who could possibly ever imagine that happening. Cologne was destroyed last night. It was very ugly. Steven Matz took a no-hitter with seven, seven and a third innings the other day. He looked fantastic. DeGrom looked great. Syndergaard's been iffy. Um, Mess brought up Gabriel Yanoa. Old friend Jeffrey Paternostro is absolutely overjoyed. And Collins is probably going to break him within like three days because he's using him literally every single night. The Mets are just kind of chugging along. The, you know, the offense coming back should theoretically, hopefully, maybe help. Who knows? They're three back in the wild card. And I just, I still think they're in it. And I don't know if I'm fooling myself. The Marlins lost Stanton. He's down for the season, which really hurts, even though he hasn't been, you know, Stanton-level Stanton this year. That offense still hurts. St. Louis has lost a few people. Uh, the Dodgers are somehow still scraping by with this uh, starting rotation of theirs. I have no idea how that's working, but, you know, a good on them. And the Mets are hanging in there, and it feels like a tease, and it feels like bringing it to the last game of the season, and I'm still going to be saying this. But I'm just not giving up yet. I don't know. I don't know if I'm just foolish and I haven't been burned too badly because I missed, you know, 06, 07, 08, all those disaster years. But I'm kind of still got a little faith in this team and we'll see how long that lasts. Well, folks, that does it for another installment of Amazing Avenue Audio. Remember, keep open the 27th of August for a live podcast of Amazing Avenue Audio, episode 200. Until then, check AmazingAvenue.com for all details about the live podcast, as well as game recaps, news, analysis, everything you can want from a Mets site, Amazing Avenue has it. 
You can also find Amazing Avenue on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search for Amazing Avenue. You can find our contributors from this week's show on there uh, as well, uh, on Twitter, that is. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. Chris is at Chris McShane. Steve Schreiber is at underscore Mr. Met. Aaron York is at APY5000. And Kate Feldman is at Kate E. Feldman. Uh, you can also rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, listen, and Stitcher. Download directly from blogtalkradio.com. Uh, please leave us a nice review. That does help considerably. And um, we'll be back in a week with more Amazing Avenue audio. Until then, let's go Mets. Let's go Mets.